My name is Sarah Inglis, and I'm a certified integrative health coach. I help people thrive in their bodies and reclaim the health they've always wanted. Each week, I interview people who have a passion for health. You'll hear from health experts, farmers, herbalists, doctors, chefs, and many more. My hope is that they'll inspire us all to tune into our gut and notice how lifestyle and food impact us. Jim Langmeyer is a third-generation farmer, along with his three sons and daughter-in-laws, in Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin. The family-owned Langmeyer Dairy produces 100% organic grass-fed milk and meat, and also grows organic Brussels sprouts. The farm puts significant attention to animal welfare, works to provide quality feed for its cows, and produces products free of pesticides and antibiotics. The family is passionate about creating healthy, sustainable soil and environment for the future. Well, hello, Jim. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you. How is it out there in Wisconsin today? It's beautiful. It's one of the prettiest days ever. So yeah, thank you. I know that there are so many people listening who, you know, want to eat healthy. And I thought it would be so interesting for them to learn about, you know, sustainable farming. And I'm wondering, how did it come about that you became so passionate about sustainable farming? And and actually, maybe you need to define what that means first, because I'm not really sure exactly what that means myself. Well, to me, sustainable farming has been something that I've always thought of. It's something that am I going to leave the farm better than I found it? And I found it from my dad. So it wasn't like he was doing it. He was a bad farmer. He was a good farmer. But I still believed that you have to be better. You have to leave your farm as as good or better than you found it. And uh, so it's been my whole life's mission is uh, what's it going to be like a thousand years from now? Is my farm going to still be good? And I think that's uh, sustainable to me is keeping it good or, or improving it. That's how I look at it. Mm. Um, mm. It's, a, it's a huge mission. It's been a life passionate mission. And of course, when uh, when I met my wife, she because we were conventional farmers. I call it conventional farmer and is people that use, and I was one that uses mm-hmm. chemicals and for you know commercial fertilizers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And my wife, when I met her, she says, "Why?" She was a city lady, a girl. She came from Mm -hmm. Phoenix, Arizona. So she says, uh, why do you guys have to use all these chemicals? I said, well, it's the only way I know how. And she absolutely hated it, Sarah. And and she always was studying, you know, other ways. But I kept farming, and I kept trying to get farther and farther away from it. But still, how do I get completely away from it? It was really a difficult challenge. And um, I can still remember back farther than that when my dad was so excited when I was a young kid that he said, Jim, we ain't going to have to... um, cultivate this corn so much anymore they got these sprays now we can spray these fields and control the weed and stuff so he was kind of excited yeah and, right <laughs> but me i did a lot of the spraying you know when i was in my teenagers and early 20s i did a lot of the spraying on the farm and i didn't particularly care for it because it was you get on your skin and it just didn't make you feel good mm. so i was always i don't like this i don't like this and then as time went on the, the 80s got involved you know and we were uh that's when we got married was in the early 80s there. And mm-hmm. and as the years go on, and she's talking like that, and I'm trying to figure it out. And eventually, uh, a, a year come along when it got so dry out, I believe it was 88, 
it, it was so dry out there that it just nothing really grew very well anyhow on the farm, even though we sprayed some of the fields twice to keep the weeds down. It just, it didn't uh, kill them because it takes water to kill things uh-huh. and to grow things. But with, with, um, So the crop didn't do very well. Well, at that same time, she happened, my wife happened to find a meeting that was coming up. It was going to be on organics. She says, will you go? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go with you. So we went, and that was kind of when we really started really finding material that taught us more of how other people were doing it. So that, mm. that was kind of the beginning of organic, even though we really didn't transition into organics until the 90s when our sons started farming with us. We started even getting deeper and deeper. So it took us a long time. Uh, we actually started selling milk in 2003 to our, to organic, through Organic Valley. They don't buy milk from you. They sell milk for you. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. when we really we've been selling organic ever since. Uh, since two thousand three, it's an ongoing thing. Excuse, excuse wow. me, I'm sorry. No, so you, since two thousand three, wow, that's so. It really was a journey. Yeah, it was. And that's yeah, sustainable still going on in my mind. But that's so interesting to me. I'd never thought about it when you say during the drought that that's really what propelled you forward. That because to kill the weeds, you need water, just like you need water to make things grow. So does that mean that the when you were a conventional farmer, that you you needed the water for the chemicals to get into the soil? It's mm-hmm. a little bit of both. Now, some of the chemicals have changed, and somebody's going to tell me that you don't have to have water to kill it. So yeah, it could anymore. be a little bit off yeah. of some of these chemicals. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in general, you need stuff to so the plant can absorb it, you know. Mm-hmm. But it didn't kill the weeds. There were certain weeds that summer when it didn't rain, it didn't kill them either. Hmm. So I guess that's what I'm going off. And today is so hmm. much different. I don't know what's going on. But uh. So when you said, too, I'm, I'm just curious. So when you did spray and you said you could feel it on your skin, did you break out in rashes? Or is it more just a feeling, an itchy feeling or that you had? Yeah. On, on what the- I remember, then not really years ago, but what I remember is you couldn't wait to get take a shower that night. I'll tell you that because it just felt like, oh, this stuff feels terrible on you. You know, the wind and stuff would drift it on you, you know, and, mm-hmm. you, and you know you weren't supposed to touch this stuff, but yet it comes off the sprayers. And we had open tractors, mm-hmm. no calves back then. Mm-hmm. And so it would drift and get on you. And and, uh, and then the time come, too, that you had to be, you never used to have to be certified to spray stuff years ago. Then all of a sudden, our counties and stuff said, no, you guys are going to have to start signing up, get certified. They didn't, they didn't make you do it, but they were recommending it. And I think that I said, being uh, the type of person I am, I said, I don't even want to do it anymore. No, mm-hmm. let's go get certified. If it's that bad that we have to get certified, then we're looking at the wrong trees. But that's kind of what my thinking was. And of course, my wife kind of helped me <laughs> you know, yeah. push that along a little bit. Supportive. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So what what were, I mean, it sounds like it's an ongoing process because you're always getting new information, but what were the challenges, though, about switching to organic, sustainable farming? Well, let's. I think the thing that scared me the worst when we decided we're really going to do this, we wanted, to, we wanted to get away from the row cropping for one thing, but I mean, row cropping, that's like, that can be a lot of different things, but corn corn is pretty much grown in rows. Oh, right. Call okay. Row cropping. So right. we kind of wanted to get away from a lot of that stuff. But uh, we were scared, I think, of nitrogen. Uh, how mm-hmm. are we going to get our nitrogen if we go organic and we quit buying all these stuff that you can buy? Or you can buy nitrogen in different forms. And how are we going to do that? Well, it's, it's turning out as of now, even as of then, 
nitrogen has never been the problem. We didn't realize how much there was in the air and just a matter of how we're going to, how is the plants going to capture it and we get to use it. Hmm. That's kind of been a real challenge, but it was the scariest part, I think, of how we're going to get away from all these fertilizers. You know, you weren't taught that, we weren't taught this in school. Now, I wouldn't say if I would have went to college that they wouldn't have taught it in a, you know, in agronomy classes. I, I don't know what they taught in those classes, but certainly didn't teach it in high school, ag classes and art classes anyhow. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. I never really thought about that. That's so, that that's a direct parallel to, you know, what I do, Jim, because I concentrate in gut health. And so many, you know, the doctors of certainly in my generation or even younger, even the younger ones, they weren't trained in medical school of how to create a healthy, you know, through diet and lifestyle, how to create a healthy gut. That just wasn't in the curriculum at all. I believe, I, I agree with that. I think it's direct too, because we kind of, you know, through all this stuff, we just, we start saying to ourselves, well, our cows, we don't, our cows don't get sick, knock on wood. They, we don't really have a veterinarian come out to our farm. He comes out, they, used, they have to come out and vaccinate your cattle on certain vaccinations you can't do. But mm-hmm. today you don't, but uh, that's pretty much over with now. You can pretty much vaccinate anything. I'm not going to say anything because there's probably some things you still can't, but uh, mm-hmm. Oh, so you vaccinate them yourself? Huh. We do, and actually the last probably 10 years, we haven't even had to vaccinate them. They say, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. I'm sure you can find people who say both ways. You of know, course. <laughs> we, just, we, just don't get, um, we just don't get health problems with our cows. Now, that being said, I hope the veterinarians stay in business. I don't, I'm not saying I never would need a vet, because you certainly mm. do. I'd be like saying you don't need a doctor. Well, you, right. I would say yeah, of course. most of us certainly do. Right. But... But the eating in that, I love I love your thing of a nip it in the gut. I think that's exactly the way my whole family believes is my wife got sick there when we, when we went to Hippocrates down in West Palm Beach down there, and they taught us what the best foods were to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. The nip it in the gut, actually, we, we live it every day here the way we eat now that if we don't eat, and, and we got two of my sons eat almost the same way I do and their, and their wives do, and and we all say the same thing every time we don't eat quite the way we do, that, oh, man, we feel miserable. Or if you really go off it and eat some too much of something, I'd bet you a pretty good steak supper or any kind of supper you want to eat that uh, by 11 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the night, at nighttime, you're going to wake up. <laughs> and then the way I understood it is that's when the body's actually trying to heal or whatever. But besides that point, I don't know that I'm not a scientist, but... I, we all say it at two between eleven o'clock and two o'clock at night. You're going to either if you ate too much of something that's not you know really healthy for us, we mm-hmm. will break into a sweat and we will wake up. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's like it's like we eat a block of salt. I call it a block of salt because you used to feed cattle blocks of salt. They'd- yeah, well, that is the time when yeah the gut is doing its last you know clean out <laughs> while you're sleeping you know, getting rid of everything that wasn't digested to sort of get it out of there. So if there's a lot that has you've had trouble digesting, yeah, that would be a big job as opposed to an easier job. You've kind of, you kind of agree that's the time of night, huh? Yeah, well, I, we just know that that's, what, that's one of the many reasons why sleep is important, but it's also important because that's when... You're, it's like I think of it like the street cleaners. You know, you 
you've digested, presumably, if you've eaten earlier in the evening, you've digested your food, but then then your gut in that truly rest and digest state while you're sleeping, it does its last clean out to get any miscellaneous, you know, particles, molecules, whatever, that don't belong in there um, out. So if you don't get enough rest, if you're not, yeah. Or if there's a lot more in there, that would be disruptive. That could wake you up because you didn't digest what you ate. Do you feel overwhelmed with the thought of transforming your health? If the idea of creating a balanced diet, managing stress, and forming new sleep patterns stresses you out, don't worry, I am here to help. As an experienced integrative health coach, I can help you develop signature health strategies that work for your lifestyles and goals. After working with me, my clients have lost weight, improved their sleep, and reversed lifestyle diseases. I'm offering three free strategy sessions before the end of the month. Click the link in the description of this podcast to book yours today. Yeah, we also notice when we don't, when we feel like we don't eat the way we want to. Uh, you'll, you're, you might even get swelling in your hands if you mm-hmm. salt or something. Mm-hmm. Normally, we, we just don't have that anymore. I mean, mm. uh, the way mm. we eat, because you, you really don't add salt to anything, right? Or kelp or something. I put kelp or something like that, but I won't add salt. Our little guys that are in the soil, you know, it's kind of like my grandma always told me, and I never. I don't know where she got it from, but she always said there's more living organisms in a handful of soil than there is people on Earth. So that mm-hmm. always haunted me. But now I'm coming to the age and what we've learned and that she was actually right, I think. And yeah. Those little guys, those little guys are exactly like we are. The way I understand them, I do a lot of studying on them. And the way I understand them, Sarah, is that their little guts are just like ours. They're, they're, they're eating all the time. Mm-hmm. And when they're releasing, you know, they're extruding what they're eating done eating that's very available to the plant well mm. if we're that plant sucks that up and it's a very healthy way for the plant i think that's what makes some of our you know like our brussels sprouts i think that's what makes them sweet because mm. they're very balanced very balanced that's that's what it sounds like that's what's happening uh, oh right because you because of the mixture of microorganisms that you have in your soil Right, and that's coming back to the plant, and the plant, if it, if it can digest it good, it comes right. right back to me as the human, whatever we eat, if we can digest it good, we're going to feel better. Mm. I, so, think, I think we go together. I think we all, we're all farmers, we just don't know it. Right, what you eat, <laughs> that's you're, true. You're, you're farming your body, whatever you choose today to eat, you are farming your body, because our land and our cows don't have a choice. We give them the choice. We we force right. them on them. Yeah, we, we do, do have, have a choice. choice. Yeah, most of us Unfortunately, do. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, I remember when we was down to Hippocrates down there. I, I can remember Dr. Anna Marie. She says, uh, I was in one of her classes, and she says, uh, if you ain't prepared for today's food, you will fail today. <laughs> not, not that you're gonna, you're not gonna die. You know, right. but you're not gonna eat what you wanted, what you. We're wishing you would have eaten because you're going to grab the first thing that you see because mm. you're not prepared. You're hungry. Your body's going to grab it. That's so. Oh, I love that you said that, Jim, because one of the things that I frequently say to, you know, people who I coach is that the prep, right? The prep part 
of having a healthy life is so critical. You know, if you don't have the foods in your pantry and ideally prepped so that when you're really hungry, you're dying of hungry hunger, you can you can grab something that's healthy as opposed to the whatever might be right in front of you that may be not healthy. The one thing I know for sure, as far as us guys feel, I know my two sons would sit here and say exactly they had the same feelings. When we came back from Hippocrates, my wife and I, and we were there for three weeks. When we came back, though, and we were all trying to change the way we ate, Mm -hmm. we had to be pretty serious about the way we ate because she was pretty ill. None of us were big time. You know, we lived on the farm. We live on a farm. We eat most of our meals right here. But when we go to town, we have stopped at some of the fast foods over the years. Not it's Mm -hmm. not like we do it very often hardly ever but when mm-hmm. we have all done it mm-hmm. and this is a this is a true story that we my son and i were together and it was just in the local town here they got a fast food place there and we knew we weren't going to eat there because we had to hang out of the steering wheel and the car wanted to make us go in there that's what we said oh. <laughs> we did not we did not want to eat there we had no intentions of eating there but and this went on for a long time every time we went back to town we all noticed it that we had a craving oh. to stop there Huh? I don't get that muscle crazy. memory. Maybe it was muscle memory. What do you think? <laughs> you no, know, you get really hungry. You want to, you'd want to eat that uh, either burger. Yeah, or they were selling. You'd want. It's uh-huh. like your body says, "I want that burger." Right. <laughs> or even now, and even now, sometimes you know, you want the carbs from a piece of bread or something like that. Sometimes it'll hit you, and you really do think you want it. Well, I go to the grocery store now, sir, and and there's only there's hardly any aisles that's worth walking down for me. It's just uh, the season mm-hmm. aisle I'll walk down and and the vegetable aisle after that it's not a lot that I buy in there. I mean I would buy the nuts and you know uh, beans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But most of the aisles in there really aren't something I go down anymore. It's the strangest thing that I can't believe it's happening to me. But it actually and I don't have a craving to go down to the other ones anymore. Yeah, it's sort of shocking. I had the opportunity to live um, abroad outside of the country, both in Asia and in South America. And I have to be honest with you that in some ways it was more of a transition. And believe me, I love, I love, love living in the United States, but in some ways it was much more of a transition moving back to the United States than it was moving abroad because, well, first of all, I was expecting, you know, changes since I was moving to a different country. But I remember coming back after having spent five years in South America, in Colombia, and where the food, the only food that was available to you was fresh. There is no, I mean, processed food was, wow, really limited. So that meant when you went into a market, it was all fresh produce. And I, I'll never forget, and I did did a pretty extreme move. I moved to uh, New York City. I'll never forget walking into a grocery store, and they're not as huge as the grocery stores, you know, outside of the city because they have limited space. And literally walking in and walking out, being so overwhelmed by walking down an aisle of processed food cereals, I couldn't. I couldn't get over the fact that there were. It seemed like hundreds of choices of boxes to choose from. (laughs) Oh, that was mind boggling. Yeah. That gets me to the point of about, you know, buying fresh food. And I know, you know, I know your sister, Janet, and she just talks about how your Brussels sprouts are amazing and so delicious. And I'm, 
frequently telling people that, you know, just pause before you eat, look at those vegetables, you know, the colors on your plate to help your body get into the rest and digest state. But I often think about just how much effort is involved to grow vegetables, having been unsuccessful in my own backyard garden in the past. You know, you get the crops almost matured and then, ah, some animal gets it. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how did you get into growing? So you started as a, your father or your ancestor started the farm as a dairy farm. Is that correct? And then you transitioned into not only having a dairy farm, but also growing Brussels sprouts. Yeah, my actually my fa- my grandfather bought the farm. He really wasn't a farmer, but uh, he actually came over from Ireland as, a, as an orphan. So he did quite well for himself as having nothing but himself. Mm. And so, but he eventually he did so well that he eventually had some money. So he actually invested in this this piece of land, and he asked my mother and father if they would, uh, when they first got married, if they could come down and run it. He wasn't a my grandpa wasn't really a farmer. Right and and dad and mom they came down here to to uh, run it. They were just going to help for a while. They ended up staying. So oh, wow. it was actually a it was actually a beef and sheep and hog farm. And I don't think they didn't start with dairy. Although there was a big dairy barn here that somebody had milk cows in. Huh. Uh, I think it was built in the 1930. That barn was. And uh, but my mother and father didn't do that until in the 50s. So they were here in the 40s, uh, late 40s. 50s, they decided to milk cows, so we've been milking cows ever since that, the late mm. 50s. We kind of phased out and kind of, kind of went all to all dairy, got rid of the beef and the, and the hogs and the sheep. We kind of got rid of that stuff and just mm-hmm. concentrated on dairy. But most of my life, I, you know, dairy was, my older life, it was all dairy. So, oh, the vegetables, that kind of came in after my, after my wife got sick and what uh, what we believe we you know wanted to eat and grow, we still dairy. We love mm-hmm. our cows, but <laughs> and our cows, by the way, are all only fed grass. We don't feed them any grains. We haven't we haven't grown corn since 1999, so it's been a long time since we fed them any corn. Corn, and mm-hmm. then we fed them some small grains, which I like oats and stuff like that for for a couple of years, but. It's been many years since we fed them any grain, zero. We just don't feed any of our cattle grain, and they do better with just the grasses. So I would say we got grass-fed meat, grass-fed milk. Uh, Our milk is, uh, if it's on the shelf, if you ever saw organic valley milk, 100% grass-fed milk, that's us. That's what I thought. I have it in my refrigerator. I was thinking, oh, this could be from Jim's farm. (laughs) Well, we were one of the ones that got started, I know that. Oh, wow. A couple other guys, we, we got together as a group, a couple was down in our basement of our house, and it expanded into a more of us now. There, was no, there wasn't that until then. I just noticed, I think it's very flavorful. I just love the taste of that milk. I, I do like dairy products, and um, and I love the taste of it. And also, I noticed that it seems to last a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. Or maybe yeah, I drink it more that, quickly than I'm noticing. <laughs> I've never had to buy milk or you just take it out of the bulk tank. But uh, yeah. I was always a kind of a, what do they call it, pet peeve of mine. Our, our milk is like 4% fat or even higher. Mm-hmm. It, isn't, it isn't 2% or whole milk. It's 4% milk. There's a huge amount of cream on ours. 
Mm, that's probably why I like it. <laughs> I'm sure. My father, back in the day when we used to growing up, you know, milk was delivered and and the cream would be on the top of the glass bottle that was delivered. <laughs> My father, he was really a milk snob. If it didn't have a lot of cream on it, no, it wasn't worth <laughs> drinking. <laughs> I remember that's that right. so well. I yeah. actually, we got lucky and got to go to New York. My wife and I did and, and promote the certain milk for uh, in some of the grocery stores up there. That was a lot of fun talking to the people and stuff. And they try the taste of the milk and they really liked it. But at that time, I think their milk had, they had the fat still in it. And like, I don't mm-hmm. know if they've changed it or not, how much they take out or, and they says on mm-hmm. the carton probably, but uh, mm-hmm. that was fun watching little kids drink that stuff and, ooh, you know, <laughs> they thought that was different. <laughs> so when you switch from conventional to organic, then that must have made the soil more healthy, or did you have to plant certain things in your fields to make the soil healthy before you grew the Brussels sprouts or... Yeah, that's a good question. We were lucky to when we went to the Brussels sprouts, we were all grass. Our whole farm was grass. There was nothing plowed. Some of our some of our fields hadn't been plowed for twenty years. Oh wow! And so we were pretty we were we were pretty lucky that uh, you know we could just when we did do the Brussels, we had to plow it down or we had to till it. And mm-hmm. I think that was the hardest part on us. We really hated to till the soil to do this. But we really um, wanted to do the vegetables, and we weren't sure how to do it without tilling it. I think we we spent years trying to get this farm to be grass. It takes it took a lot of effort, and uh, it took us years. And now we're gonna. And now, how do you kill grass when you're organic? Uh, that's really hard to kill grass if you're an organic farmer because you can't spray it to kill it. You got to farm it out, and that that was a little bit of a challenge. But it, but it also meant that the soil was very healthy. So so what does farm it out mean that you have to till it? Is that what that means? Yeah, you'd have to till it or, or you'd have to plant different species in there to try to break down to let the other species help you kill that grass. Because grass, certain grasses, they will take you out like vegetable farming and stuff. They're very you know, hard on you that way. You cannot farm very easy with certain grasses on a vegetable farm. Oh, Okay. There's certain huh. grasses you can. I mean, even corn. Corn is actually a grass, but it gets oh, okay. a, it gets a, when it matures, it gets a, it gets kernels on it. The other grasses get seed, uh, different kinds of seeds on it. But corn's easy to kill, but these other grasses are not easy to get rid of, and they can take you out. They'll smother the ground. They'll overtake it. So that was a little bit challenging. How are we going to get this grass out of there after we spent so many years to get it in? Oh wow. So how did that just, did it take like a decade, a long time or how long? No, it meant we had to till it a couple of times that same year. And that, and that destroys a lot of your, your baby fungi, the one that you can't see only in a microscope that, mm-hmm. that kills a lot of them. Um, so the, the challenge is, is how are you going to keep them guys alive and still do a vegetable crop? Uh, we don't use any plastics and stuff. A lot of, you know, a lot of farmers do use plastics and stuff. I'm not running them down. I'm just saying a lot of that is done, mm-hmm. and we do not oh, use any of the that. grass down. Yeah. Yes, to keep your yeah. weeds out. But we're starting to understand though. We're just getting into this chemical world or the biological world, I should say, of understanding. You know what plants go with what plants that'll grow together and not compete with each other. We've been planting flowers and stuff with our Brussels sprouts since we've started to see if oh. all that was going to help us. 
and uh, parsley, or different, just different stuff that you would eat, different herbs and stuff that you would eat anyhow. Mm-hmm. We've even we've even put lettuce out there. You know, we've tried. We're always trying to plant something with it. Okay, because they use different. And what's the thought behind that? They use different nutrients in the soil, or they complement each other, or something. That's kind of what we think, Sarah. We th- they definitely do use different minerals, and they, you know, but you, if you can look at it two different ways, if there's something growing there, maybe it'll take the place of the weed that we call a weed is is only a plant that takes us out. But every plant is a weed in a way if it's in the wrong place. Right. Yeah. So if it's in the wrong place. We're trying to choose which weeds we want out there. <laughs> believe it or not, we believe it or not, we had some of our places get kind of weedy. They not quite weedy. Some places do, and it'll be our highest quality Brussels sprouts. It looks Take terrible it. if you're driving by on the road. You say that they're not going to make it. But if you're actually in the field and see what's going on, they're the highest quality Brussels sprouts. Not the cleanest field. That's never been our luck. The cleanest field is where there's nothing growing. But Brussels sprouts, that looks beautiful. It's a lot more messy, so we're yeah. probably the worst farmers. I always yeah. say we got the 10 weediest fields in the, in the world. But I don't care about that. I care about what the crop is that's coming out. If that's a high-quality crop, I don't care what it looks like. I care what it, what it is. Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. I probably just ruined myself here, but <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm curious. How do you judge? Like, how do you judge uh, a good, yeah, Brussels sprouts crop? Is it by the the taste, the texture, the the look? How many? How many? you know, little Brussels sprouts you have on the, <laughs> on the stock, or how do you judge that? Well, you want a certain size because the marketplace is pretty particular uh, okay. about what size you want. They, they do have a little okay. variance on them, but right. the little ones, they're pretty tasty little guys, or if they get too small, you know, not mm. everybody wants them. They okay. might be what you want on your dish, but, but that's number one. They have to get a certain size. But actually, number one is they have to look good. They cannot have spots. They cannot have, a, you know, bug damage or, Mm-hmm. Or any kind of a, a spot on them, uh, you know. The market's mm-hmm. pretty hard on you that way. Mm-hmm. You know, the per- we eat them in the house. We just all you do is cut it off or something. But uh, yeah, the market's pretty hard on us on everybody. Huh. Uh, you know, the size. It's interesting. The size, like let's just say an apple. Everybody's used to an apple. I'm gonna go on a limb and say I, I know I got a good friend up in California that um, they're they're into the fruits and stuff. They grow a lot of fruits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It isn't always true that the big one t- is the best for it. The, kinda, right. uh, the market decides that on you. So, mm. as a consumer, I, I would yeah. say, I would say uh, the small apple that is probably your healthy apple. That's what I'm going to say. I probably just got shot for saying that, but fruit <laughs> <No. laughs> too. I mean, the vegetables too. It isn't always the biggest one, even though it looks pretty. It mm-hmm. isn't always the best one. That's what I right. I, I well, I can relate to that because I remember my grandmother had a big vegetable garden when I was growing up, and she, among other things, she did grow strawberries. And oh gosh, they were so delicious to pick from the field. But they were small. They weren't wild strawberries. They were cultivated, but they weren't like the strawberries that you see today in the market that are so big. But they're they don't taste so much. They're not juicy like the um, small ones. 
we, we make all of our feed for our cows. You know, they they graze all summer long until until the snows and stuff come. They can't they can't graze it then. I mean, they're not buffalo where they can scratch down to and produce milk. Uh, but we bring the feed in, you know, in the summertime yeah. for them uh, huh. and store it. In the summertime they eat it themselves, but we bring other feed in yeah. that they can't eat it all. We'll store it. But my point is, as soon as we cut it to make it, life is dying, right? It's changing mm. that instant. Mm. I think that's why it tastes so good when you're picking it fresh because it, it hasn't had that yeah. chance to do that yet. I think there's something to that. And it constantly right back to your, you know, your thing, what you're doing there, the nip it in the gut. It's the minute you tell it's done, it never stops changing, does it? I don't think it does. Right. Well, I don't, more- yeah. Well, then, oh, well, this is a great segue into sprouts because you do, you, you on the side or for your personal consumption, don't you cultivate sprouts in, indoors? To I eat? do. You mean like the micro sprouts? Yeah, micro sprouts. Yeah. Yeah. I think micro sprouts is something that, you know, anybody can do it. And I think. Uh, I think anybody, no matter where you live, I mean, we actually think the big cities, I'm going to say the big cities, but it could be any town, but the big cities is where the majority of the people is. Mm-hmm. And I always look at it this way. The big cities can't grow all the apples because it takes up too much space, but they right. certainly they, they certainly could grow all the vegetables, all the leafy Sprout. green stuff. Because you only are hauling seed in and somebody can grow it in all of it. The big crops, you know, just can't do that in the city. That's hopefully that's what's left for us farmers to do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Could we seriously consider when we learned about sprouts and stuff? We we seriously consider should we do that as a business? You know, we could probably sell these things. But then mm-hmm. we thought about no, they're going to be able to do that in town. Mm-hmm. So they only have to haul the seed, they, and then they can deliver it to the store. You know, right then and there, because that stuff has to be moved fast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do, Sarah. I do. Uh, grow my own green sprout is something for uh, salads i grow them down in my basement and so what kind, what, kind of, what kind of light do you have for them in your basement don't they need light I, yeah i just got what they call most guys would call just a regular shop light you know or for mm-hmm. fluorescent lights i've got 16 of them so there's what the 32 lights on them 16 i've got mm-hmm. pvc racks i set up because when brenda got sick there we we were seriously about growing everything there because she could not eat anything but that kind of stuff. Or that's what mm. they told her. They said, "They said you won't make it if you're eating." They said when you went when we went down there, Doctor Brian Clements. We got to talk to him on the phone before we went down. He said, "If you can spell sugar when you leave, he says don't come down because you won't make it." He said mm. because she had pancreatic cancer. He said you cannot have sugar to survive mm. this. Mm. So that we got really serious real quick about what we were going to do. We set the whole you know, one part of the basement up like that. And I've been doing it ever since. Oh, wow. Would you say it's pretty easy once you get the hang of it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you have to have the seeds and then you have to have a container, some type of container and want clean water, right? Is that pretty much it? That's it. Yeah. Yep. You know, you have to have some kind of lighting. There's no question about and that. And lighting, but, uh, right. Yeah. Huh. But for your micro sprouts that I'm calling microgreens, yes, you're you can do that on your countertop. Hmm. You can do that in a quart jar with with lids that got holes in it and drain the water. You know, rinse it twice a day, just rinse it out. But I wouldn't do it with chlorine water. No, that, that'd be, right. I'd say that might right. be a problem. But 
Yeah. So the quality of the water is key. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you grow all different kinds of sprouts? Do you do like broccoli sprouts or? Yes. I, I, I'm not good at the mung bean ones. I, I wish I was because they, they're kind of a, what I call a neutral sprout. They're very nutritious for you, but they don't have a lot of flavor either any direction. So you don't get a bad flavor. Some sprouts got a strong flavor. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly get hooked on them, but I just have never been really good at doing the mung beans, even though I got a 50-pound bag of it downstairs. I, <laughs> I keep trying, but that's a lot of seeds. I buy almost everything in bulk. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's a hard one for me to grow to get them big, fat ones. You know, nice. They're, I like mm-hmm. them, but I just have a hard time with them. Like fenugreek's an easy one to grow, but that's a... The one I think I like the best is actually onion sprouts when you, you know, sprout the seed. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not sure. What does it look? Is it just a green shoot? What does that? I don't know that I've had that. No, it just comes out of, it's got the little black seedling on it and it it just pops out a root. You let it go too long, it'll get a green, it'll it'll get a little green head on it, but if you, um. But it's got so much flavor. It's probably one of my favorites. Well, I don't do it very often, but it's one of my favorite mm. ones to eat. Oh, wow. So you, how do you eat them? Do you put them in I a sprinkle on top of my salad? Salad, so yeah. I eat sunflowers, sunflower greens. I call it the actual, you know, like lettuce. It would, I grow that big enough. It's usually four or five inches tall, the sunflowers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one is the peas. Those two I do. Almost every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, if yeah. I'm going to put a lettuce with it, it'd probably be a romaine lettuce. I, I think that's uh, I don't hardly ever do that. And I don't grow that. I'd have to buy that at the store. So I hardly ever mm-hmm. do it. The other ones I do daily, I got that growing. I don't think I've missed a day in the last eight years, probably. And the one I never, probably should say never is a long time, but hardly, hardly ever miss growing uh, wheatgrass. Oh, uh, okay. If you cut it, once you cut it, does it grow right back, or do you have to replant, reseed? You got to re- you got to replant. I don't think I would like the taste of it when it grows back. I know it will grow back. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. And it's uh, wheatgrass farming. I'm sorry, sir, but wheatgrass farming is just like farming when we fed when we feed the cows all grass when we harvest their fields, and when we put them out there, you got to really pay attention to the grass. And wheatgrass is a huge grass. It, it, uh, I mean, tall-wise, I mean, part of the system. Mm-hmm. When it gets its second little shoot, I call it a little shoot or boot stage, I call it. When that comes up, when that starts coming out, you want to cut it. Because after mm-hmm. that, it's going to get so bitter, you're not even going to be able to drink it. Oh, okay. And the, so for the cow, if it gets past that, the nutrition goes down so fast that she's not going to milk on it either. She'll eat it because she she's going to get hungry enough to eat it, but mm-hmm. she'll inhale it. If you cut it at the right stage, she'll think she's eating Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, wow. So you feed your ca- cows wheatgrass? Wheatgrass, ryegrasses, uh, any kind of grass. Uh-huh. Some of your cows, I'm just thinking, are your cows are more healthy than a lot of human beings. Well, we make our living off of this, you know, so you make sure no, that they seriously, are. I'm listening to the diet and I'm thinking, whoa. Huh. Yes, and that's that's what forced us to say, "What are we? We're hypocrites to ourselves. Our cows don't get sick, and we, and once we learn what we should be eating, we we changed our lives." Wow, 
because we were studying Hippocrates' way for before we went down there, and we couldn't get ourselves to do it. It was so difficult. But um, if you ever went down to Hippocrates, I don't know if you ever have, but if you ever went down there for three, go down for three weeks and do the whole class. Yeah, I it's promise a, you. Your, I promise you, your life will change. Yeah. Well, and especially because you just feel right, you feel so much better. It's like whoa. Didn't you have a lot more energy after eating their ways? And yeah. You do, and you don't put weight on. You just Right. Don't. Yeah, and you can eat as much as you want of those types of foods. Probably won't get bloated. I would say you just, we were down there with some very sick people, and my wife included, but they were, you could ask them any question. You didn't want to hear the answer, but but you could ask them any question. <laughs> and, uh, I know the one gentleman that sat next to us all the time, he, he was so adamant that they were wrong. He just kept asking them questions. And he, mm. and I talked to him a couple of years later. He was stage four uh, prostate cancer. He was very sick when he was down there. And, mm. I, and he was from Canada up here. He, and I talked to him a couple of years later, and he had, he had whipped it. Wow. And he, every day, every day he would ask if if Dr. Brian was there or Dr. Anna Marie was there, he would ask him questions. And in their big meetings and <laughs> he was just bound determined that this wasn't going to work. And he, but yet he kept trying it and he was so sick. I mean, ill he was, and yet he made it. Wow. That's incredible. Well, we are what we eat. It's like Hippocrates, you know, thousands of years ago said food is thy medicine. Yeah. It, and it is, it is for our cows. It is for our calves. I mean, our baby calves, when they, um, you know, I was taught that you feed them, milk and then you feed them you feed them grain oh, mm. we don't feed any grain to our calves and we feed them mm -hmm. you're not really supposed to they always said don't feed them any hay because they can't digest it we feed them all the hay they can eat really happy with our calves they're beautiful <laughs> they just are they on us. Uh, we've actually had farm meetings all here and people can't believe it I could ask you so many questions about the calves. Now I have a picture of the calves <laughs> in my brain. How cute they must be. <laughs> Actually, yeah. my son did a pot. He did a, a video thing on yeah, YouTube video. with, a, with, our, with the organic people in Iowa, the organic institute from Iowa, asked him if he would do it. And uh, he's got a couple pictures of our calves on there. I think it looks, they look pretty cool. Well, that, I mean, the animals are just a testimony to healthy, healthy living, right? That they're so healthy, you don't even need a vet to come in. They don't get sick. It's oh. incredible. Wow. Now, that being said, we, we have sometimes had to have a vet come out for things, you know. We can't give them any kind of medicines organically and keep them organic. If we ever gave them a medicine, we have to take them off. We have to sell mm. them as a conventional animal. I see. But it just doesn't happen. <laughs> we just, mm. just knock on wood. It just doesn't happen very, very often. I think it says a lot about what the soil is doing for the cattle. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting that you say that it's growing. There are more and more farmers where you are or in Wisconsin, or I don't know if in that general area that want to go organic. There is a lot of organic farmers joining there. As far as the soil goes, though, that seems to be, a, I'm going to call it the beginning of a revolution. I, that's how I see it. Because if you go on the YouTube channels, there's a lot of big farmers that are on there. I'm talking big time farmers mm. that are starting to change the way they're doing, you know, trying to find new ways. And they're really going into this biological world. A lot of them are, it's kind of uh. exciting to be a, 
That is I've exciting. I've always been excited about a farmer. I've been excited about a farmer my whole life, but it's uh, I get to think I'm going to get to go out that way excited. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm wondering, I'm going back to having spent, I uh, before I moved back to Massachusetts a couple of years ago, I was in California and I was living there during the drought. And I'm just wondering if these bigger farmers, it's in their best interest. You know, water is such a... Um, scarcity out west i mean it's a serious problem right and i'm wondering if they just realize that for whatever reasons this is the path to being able to keep their businesses thriving right because of how you tied the drought in wisconsin to the fact of of getting you to change from conventional to organic I think you touched right. The water is, is probably the most important thing we can probably have. There's no question about that. As a resource, I, now this is getting into, maybe I shouldn't ask this question, but I'm just curious. It is, again, like human beings, we have to hydrate, but farming organically, do you use less water or, or than you would if you were dependent upon chemicals? No, I don't think that's the case. I think we all depend on water, but... If we can get this biological world correct, and we and there's a lot of a lot of farmers and research, you know, the, the universities too, a lot of studies going on on what how do we can contain more water in our soils. Oh, and right, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. By the more organic matter, the more organic matter we can get in our soils, the more water you can hold. That's, that's a fact. Oh, okay. So like, it's thousands of gallons of water. For every one percent of organic matter you can add to your farm, what well, takes this can be done. We used to believe it took hundreds of years, but not anymore. I certainly don't believe it takes that long anymore because we're seeing our farm change, and I haven't been here that long yet. It's just how we're farming. We can actually change. We can change the world. There's no yeah. question in my mind. Yeah. And I think a lot of farmers are talking that way now that we can actually, instead of the world washing away on us, I think we can change it. And as mankind, we might survive as far as the farming goes. Yeah, that's very uh, hopeful. So you're saying, yeah, it doesn't take a hundred years. It could take, I don't know, five years or a decade or, you know. I think we can add to it every day out here right now. There's no question. These these little guys in the soils and what we plant with them is changing the farms and how much water we need. They're finding out there's some guys that, you know, that are have way less rainfall than we do, way less. They only mm. got, you know, 10, 12 inches a year is all they get. And they're mm-hmm. doing a very good job of farming because they figured this stuff out. Wow. That's really exciting that we're going to be able to farm with less water if we figure out how to do it. Yeah. And they are starting to figure that out. So that's, that's good. It's good for, you know, the, what we do in town, too. We need a lot of water. Everybody does. We can't be used at all out here in the farm. We got to got to learn, too, to change. That's what I mm-hmm. say. It isn't just on, oh, you shouldn't be doing stuff in town that, you know, there's talk like that sometimes people do and. No. no, we're all in this together. Yeah, right. we all got, we all got responsibility here to figure things out as we go along and let yeah. us, let us help each other. You know, yeah, it's a shared resource. So I I have one last question to ask you, Jim. I mean, we could talk for another hour easily, but if you could go back twenty years, what health advice would you give to your younger self? What would I tell myself if I went back that far? Yeah, I'd what say, health advice might you give yourself? <laughs> uh, Jim, 
started looking at what, uh, I probably should have took an agronomy class. That's what I should have did 20, 40 um, years ago. Um, that would have helped me understand what life is really happening. And it ties right into our food. There's no mm-hmm. question what goes on in that soil is going on in our gut. I think I would have told myself, Jim, just, if you like farming like I always believed I did, I couldn't even, Sarah, I didn't even want to finish school. When I was 16, I said to Dad, I'm done. Says no, try to finish it. And uh, I did finish it, but I wish at that time I would have said, no, why don't I go to, why don't I continue school? That's what I think I tell mm-hmm. myself now. Continue school, but mm-hmm. study the studies that you want to study. Hmm. I think I would have been happier. It sounds like, helped. you know, with hearing you say that, Jim, it makes me realize I used to be a teacher. But just like, you know, they used to teach, uh, well, back in the day, it was called home ec, but, you know, how to balance checkbook, you know, do your finances, cook, you know, basically be somewhat self-sufficient. But it sounds like, you know, it'd be a good course for many of us to know what it takes to grow healthy food. Yeah, because what about Sarah, the day that we don't have the trucks going down the road? Exactly. Yeah. So how are we going to take care of ourselves? Yeah. And, they, and I remember the home act days, too. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, like, my, my good friend uh, was the first boy in our school to take home act, and they gave him a lot of, they gave him a lot of flack because it was all girls pretty much. Mm-hmm. But he took it, you know. So there was a yeah. revolution for guys back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. He was ahead of his time. <laughs> or not. You know, he came from a family of 16 kids. So he well, knew, he knew what life, what, you know, you have to live, you have to take mm-hmm. care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think you're, I think you're onto something there. I think maybe. Yeah. This has been such an interesting conversation. I thank you so very, very much for spending this time with me. Thank you for asking. And I feel like uh, we have something in common. That's for sure. We both. That is both. for sure. <laughs> A yeah. lot of- more in common between farming and farming our guts than I realized. I knew it was a metaphor, yeah. but. <laughs> For over 25 years, I was a teacher, and one of my greatest joys in life is seeing people light up when they have an aha moment. It is pure magic. I've now combined teaching with my knowledge of health into live workshops. I teach throughout the country about gut health and how to transform your health. If you'd like to know when I'll be in your city, subscribe to my newsletter in the description of this podcast.